From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. The historic Five Points neighborhood is about more than a legacy of jazz. It's also the home of entrepreneurs who are fighting for representation through resiliency. If we're going to recapture that historical context, I think it has to be active today. We don't want to talk about the past. We want the past to connect with the present. We'll walk down Welton Street and talk about the opportunities and the challenges that persist. Then, fresh veggies, juicing, yoga, art, and even a DJ? The Mobetta Green Marketplace is not your typical farmer's market. It's inspiring healthy habits and sparking change, one food desert at a time. I thought, well, I want to be some kind of solution to this problem. And maybe it creates a bit of inspiration, you know, to make changes in your life. Support for Colorado Public Radio comes in all shapes and sizes. You might give monthly as an Evergreen member or contribute during fund drives. Maybe you donated your car or gave a gift of stock. For all the ways you support CPR, thank you so much. Your generosity is deeply appreciated. Thank you for bringing trustworthy news and timeless music to listeners across Colorado. Explore all the ways to give at CPR.org. Click on Support CPR. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. The historic Five Points neighborhood in Denver is known for its legacy of jazz music, but it's much more than that. It's also a vibrant business and entertainment district with a long-standing spirit of entrepreneurship. So says Haroon Cowens, the newest chair of the Five Points Business Improvement District. We met there recently to stroll the street and to discuss what development looks like there now and what the future might bring. Haroon, thanks for joining me. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's set the scene. We're standing here right now in front of the Coffee at the Point building. So tell us about what you see right now. Well, of course, we're st- standing at the historic uh, intersection, what what makes Five Points. Uh, that's one of the first things I see. And then, of course, we're standing on the site where it, it was uh, Coffee at the Point, a very very familiar place that people came to, of course, enjoy, uh, to have coffee, to have meetings. Um, And unfortunately, it is closed. Yeah, and it actually does have a lot of significance for me because before I moved to Colorado, I came to visit uh, when we were looking at moving here and Coffee at the Point was one of the first places I was told that I had to go to. And even when I first moved here, which is now almost 11 years, I used to have all my meetings here. It was you know, like you said, a hub, a place for people to gather. And I'm looking at it right now. It's totally empty. All you see is empty chairs and really just an empty shell of a, of a business. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, it's a, of course, it's been one of the mainstays over the last 13 years. And it's uh, fortunate that it is not open. Uh, but uh, however, you know, our, my, my thing and my view is we hope to see something else come in that has at, that becomes a mainstay for this community. So you just took on this new role. So tell us about the board and what you all are trying to achieve. Well, I think the big thing we're trying to achieve, especially this year, is really focusing on retention and as well as recruitment for businesses. Uh, This is a corridor where we think being vibrant is essential. I mean, this historic nature is that this was always an entrepreneurial corridor. 
I know Five Points has always been known for its music, but it needs to be known for its entrepreneurial spirit. The music didn't come without entrepreneurship. And so we want to really reclaim uh, that, uh, especially in our efforts in the retention and recruitment of businesses and, of course, uh, activities uh, that would, would also benefit the businesses here on this corridor and, and as well as exposure for the businesses because I, I think the bid is, is really here to foster those relationships uh, between the public and as well as the, the businesses and making decisions on behalf of the businesses in regards to creating an environment that is vibrant for them. Speaking of which, while you're talking, I see um, a patron or a desired patron who tried to open the door. Just a reminder of how uh, well-known and how used the coffee at the point was in terms of being a community hub. So people are still getting the word out that it's no longer there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly right. I think many folks, including myself, did all our meetings, a lot of our meetings here. And you'll be able to sit here and even if you're doing work here, you'll see really virtually anyone. Um, from the community, from politics, from from business and and the likes, and so uh, from the arts and culture. So uh, it, like I said, it, it's sad that it is no longer open. Uh, but you know, we have optimism that we can reclaim something for this space, hopefully soon. Well, I've heard a little bit of everything. I've heard that the businesses are being pushed out. I've also heard the sentiment that it just boils down to just a lack of support. Where do you fall into that perspective? Well, I don't want to really get into the, the businesses being pushed out, but I think that, you know, the lack of support could be an issue, and especially after COVID and where the corridor was really, you know, closed up. I think the big thing is we want to make sure that there is these activities and a, a, uh, a organization such as the BID should be really involved in that. Um, and then we also should be involved in ensuring that businesses do stay and so getting to the bottom of why why and you know how businesses are leaving and understanding that environment i think we can't we can't make the businesses stay but we can be a part of creating an environment that the businesses can thrive in so where does Welton Street stand now in terms of businesses and black-owned businesses? Well, we, you know, Welton Street Cafe is definitely a legacy business. It's been on this corridor over 23 years. I remember, you know, in 1999, them opening up down here, and they've been here in this community over 30 years in different various uh, business forms. I'm just happy that they will remain on this corridor. They will, uh, looks like they will be on the 28th block. And, you know, it, it's exciting for their future to, to reopen in a new space and be here on Welton Street. I think it's very important that they are here in Five Points on Welton Street. And so excited for them and excited for their efforts um, in between their build out and, and now that, you know, they are still, you know, doing catering and providing all types of various uh, things for people still to engage with them. And so just a big shout out to uh, Fatima and the rest of the, uh, the family of that really uh, huge uh, legacy restaurant that is so important to our, our community here in Five Points and important to Denver. So tell us about the work that you are doing now to try to develop this area and attract those businesses. Well, I think the big thing for us as a, as a board is, you know, we look to move initiatives forward. But the other thing is, how do we ensure that uh, the voices of the community and business owners and uh, asset owners, or real estate asset owners, are, are being heard? And so what we did is created 
three other committees outside of our board, uh, which is one for community engagement, the other for business advancement um, here on the corridor. And of course, we had our marketing and communications. And so we're appointing leaders there uh, to be able to also champion the initiatives we have from the board so that we have more people involved and a broader perspective, bringing those those ideas, bringing those uh, initiatives back to the board to be able so we can make actionable items out of them. Because I, I think that the, you know, if the more folks that we have involved, the better and the more activity we have, the better for this, this corridor. We're standing here as we walk around here. Tell us what businesses are here and give us kind of a, a perspective of what used to be here as well. Yeah, so there's Marigold that just opened maybe just over, just under two months ago. So I'm very happy to see that business open. I was in there uh, last week and it's, it looks like it's, uh, it's doing pretty well as an oh, yes. opening business. And so very happy about that. I mean, we're on this corner, and at least to me, is you know, I, I used to run Welton this. And yeah, what, Welton 26. and 26, 27th, mm-hmm. right here, uh, where you have these intersections. You, of course, you have the historic uh, Deep Rock Water here on this corridor. Um, and of course, this is the crown jewel, I think, of the whole neighborhood, which is the Rossonian Hotel. Um, and it is, you know, it's just a beautiful building. Um, and it's this historic building that, of course, uh, people are looking for that to, to reopen someday. And the new asset there right next to it is, is called the Hooper, uh, which we're, we're walking to. And I'm glad that it's named after someone that uh, really affected this neighborhood. And we're here in the light rail passed by RTD. Yeah. And so this this corner, and of course, you know, during during the summers, it will be very active. Um, and usually Juneteenth is is a very robust uh, celebration. And grateful to Norman Harris of of rebooting the Juneteenth and bringing it to where it, where it, where it is today. Been doing wonderful work since 2012 and bringing Juneteenth uh, to its to to a place where people many people can engage, have food have you know entertainment on and usually on this intersection last year this was one of the places where the main stages were so well i remember juneteenth very well because um during the you know COVID shutdowns it actually was the first kind of public event that i went to right as uh the city was kind of opening up and we were getting back out a little bit and so and of course five points jazz festival that's always an annual event get to see live music and the stages and whatnot and what is this we're here it says casino cabaret casino cabaret that it was opened by a man named benny hooper many people knew him in the community it was a philanthropic individual and that's why we named the building right over there after him because you know sometimes people forget our, the history and so it is great that we have names on buildings such as uh, the Wheatley and as well as the Hooper and so this was one of the other jazz clubs that music performances is happening out of it's called Cervantes now and so you could come here on any weekend and this this whole block would be full of cars and you, sometimes you'll see lines down the block many performances happening out of that uh, out of that uh, place over there so it's great to still have music here on the corridor you mentioned Marigold yeah. I had the opportunity to attend a reception there recently and I really had not been out on Welton Street in the evening hours in a while and I must say the street was really bustling so is that a good sign to you or yeah. is it more about 
trying to have more of a mix of businesses because I will say it was pretty busy that night on a Saturday night. Yeah, so I, I think we, we like that, right? And so you have Marigold, you have also uh, many other businesses as we walk down the corridor um, that uh, provide places where people can eat and drink and and being able to to enjoy. One of them is called Spangalang, which is a brewery there. Um, that brewery is, we're walking towards it over here. And then we also have another business called Agave Shore, a business that opened up during the pandemic. And they, they are a very active business that are serving great tacos and 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 tequila and so it is <laughs> margaritas it, and mar huh? margaritas that's right <laughs> and so um it's great to see and those businesses uh especially agave shore and marigold just opened so marigold just opened and agave shore is in its second year so it's great to see that even during covid to see a business open here and decide to open on this corridor yeah, I do hear about a lot of events at Agave Shore. Marigold is unique. And it has a rooftop yep. and it's a plant bar from my understanding. And I heard that it is a brown owned business. Can you speak a little bit about diverse ownership here on the street? Yeah, so, I, you know, it's great to just see, you know, uh, the, the diversity of business owners here on, on, on Welton and, and deciding uh, to open on Welton, to bring activity and to bring a place where everybody gets to enjoy is, is, is very exciting. Gave Shore is another one as a black owned business. Um, Lejean Boogie uh, opened that business two years ago and also to have Spangalangs. And so it's um, in, 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 in black and brown ownership. And so it is just awesome to see these businesses on the corridor. And I hope to see many more on the corridor open up and, and that this becomes more encouraging. And we're standing right in front of the famous Ro Rosenberg's Bagels. Mm -hmm. And so this is another place that is very active uh, during the day. And, you know, usually even during Sundays, if I'm coming down here because I live in this neighborhood, you know, sometimes there's a line out the door. So I like that. But we just want to see more of that here on this corridor. So tell us more about the work that the Five Points Business Improvement District is doing to bring those businesses here. Well, I think one is, is, is the awareness others is is activities we support activities here in in five points and then thirdly we have initiatives that we're rolling out especially this year in the activation and recruitment of businesses because we want businesses to be here you know as you see there's this this building used to be vacant and now it's marigold and we want to see other vacancies filled right because it, it is it is a great thing to see one business and then if you look down the corridor there's some that are closed and we want to be able to see others in these vacancies open up how are you reaching these businesses or potential business owners and trying to recruit them? Well, I think that through our marketing and communications committee, they will continue to uh, foster relationships with the broader community to, in our initiatives. I think the other thing is us being really focused specifically on that this, this year. And then as well, as well as the word of mouth. I mean, people are very well, well aware of Five Points in this historic district, but us now having initiatives that are going to bring people, bring, bring businesses back. Well, we have, a, I guess, the modern-day version of a boombox passing us right now. That's right. We love music <laughs> <So> down here. <laughs> lots of uh, colorful people watching around here. Yeah. Black businesses were what made this street famous. Yeah. And I read that you said, I think that black businesses should be definitely thriving in Five Points along with other businesses. Yep. And there should be a special emphasis on making that happen. Yeah. I 
I think the big thing, going back to the history, Five Points is the first cultural historic district, not by just the buildings, but what happened here. And of course, everyone knows that this was a place where redlining happened in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. It was a bustling place because, you know, black businesses were here to support the, the greater community. And so, as I was saying before, um, this was known for music, but the big thing about Five Points was should be known is this entrepreneurship. There was entrepreneurs, there were doctors, there were pharmacists, there were uh, lawyer offices, there were, you know, uh, everything and the like, you know, there were grocers, there were bars, there were clubs, there were jazz clubs. That's what it was known for. And so for us, if we're going to recapture that historical context, I think it has to be active today. And, you know, of course, we have the museum down the street, but we don't want to build more museums and just talk about the past. We want the past to connect with the present. Blair Caldwell Library, of course, is African-American history. Research library, library yeah. Research library, and also it is undergoing renovations at this point. It sure is. So a lot of uh, development and growth over here. What about on the city and state level? What type of support, if any, are you getting to help bring this area back? I believe that this corridor needs a business incubator, accelerator, or venture place where people understand that business is is centralized here and so people can get the the access to capital and support uh, technical support and systems there and as well as information on how to start a business or how to maintain business or how to expand business and I think that should be the heart of what five points is because it was an entrepreneurial place I think the big thing is you know I'm talking to city leaders and also state leaders of how do we make that happen here well, Colorado Matters, of course, is a show that covers the state of Colorado. And there may be that listener out there that says, hey, I live in Pueblo. I don't live anywhere near Five Points. Right. This doesn't really affect me. Why should this be important to all Coloradans? Well, I think the big thing is, one, is that this isn't just Five Points history. This is Colorado history, right? You don't have another corridor in this region that has the same story. So this is very important to all Coloradans, that we preserve the history uh, that makes Colorado beautiful. This is something that somebody in Pueblo can come down and be able to enjoy and experience. I think this is some, something that somebody in Vail, somebody in Aspen, somebody in different parts of our, our state should be able to have you know, the same invested pride in this neighborhood because it is unique to this region. I mean, if you look around the region, you don't have the same story. And so this story not only needs to be preserved, uh, but needs to be activated by all of us. But it's for all communities. This is all of our history in the sense that it happened here in Colorado, in Denver, Colorado. And we should all be supporting uh, those things. Haroon, what's your dream? What do you hope for the future for Welton Street and the Five Points Business Corridor? Uh, my dream is that, you know, that we talk about the history uh, and then we connect that history to the present, that youth and young people get to not only learn about the history, but also get to experience, you know, what Five Points should be. A very active, vibrant uh, neighborhood and an active, vibrant business corridor that business is known to be there, uh, the various businesses and the various experience and the cultural heritage that is, you know, essential to, to that piece. And so my dream is, is to see that activated alive and that people don't say, well, we wish Five Points would be. I want to be at a place where people are saying that's what it is today. And so, yeah, that is that is the vision and that's the dream. Well, Haroon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. This was great. Haroon Cowens is the newest chair of the Five Points Business Improvement District, 
we met in the historic neighborhood to talk about his past and what he hopes is a promising future. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Great classical music to keep you company through the night. It's night music on Colorado Public Radio. For a list of the music we're playing tonight, visit us online at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. There is a rundown motel on Denver's Federal Boulevard. Painted a drab beige, it's not much to look at. And unless you went inside, you'd have no idea it's a place that dozens of residents call home. The old Roadway Inn and Suites is now a shelter for clients of The Gathering Place, a nonprofit that helps some of the area's most vulnerable rebuild their lives. Right now, 71 unhoused women Non-binary and transgender people live there, but not for much longer. It's closing next month because the lease is up, and that's leaving residents understandably anxious. CPR's Elaine Tassi spoke with Nathan Heffel. This space provides individual rooms, bathrooms, meals, this sense of community for these 71 people at, at no cost to them. So... What's next? Well, a lot of worry, it seems, Nathan. The building closes on August 24th. And right now, 48 residents already know that they have some place to go. Mm. Some of them are going to be getting housing vouchers that the city can provide them with. But the rest of them, there's about 23 others, and they have no idea what's going to be coming up next for them. Wow, that's really scary. And you were able to meet some of them uh, not too long ago. Tell me about it. Yeah, well, a lot of them are legitimately really nervous. Because a lot of them have been on their own in their own rooms for the past couple of months. They have had their own bathroom. They've had privacy. It's not much, but it's something that they've come to know as theirs. And for the non-binary and trans people living there, having that safe space, I assume, along with that bathroom, just for themselves, seems so important. And being told they're going to have to move must have been a real shock. Oh, totally. And what makes the place so unique is that they don't house cisgender men there. Tessie, when they come to the gathering place, what services do they receive? They're given meals and they have some activities there as well, like pottery and tie-dyeing that helps them to build community. But the difference from other shelters is that their rooms are their own. Ah, I see. So they don't have to leave at a certain time. And, and, and I assume that's a big relief since they have privacy rather than being in that big open dorm sometimes with a different bed every night. That's exactly right. They call it non-congregate housing. And you said you heard a lot of stories But did one in particular move you? Yeah, one of the most moving conversations that I had was with this woman named Laura Lindquist. She's 46 years old, and she told me that she had had a brain injury as a result of domestic violence, and she struggled with housing for many years. So I have my own bathroom. I have my own closet, my own bed. This is just my area. I don't have any... Nobody comes in. I can actually lock it. And now I'm afraid I'm going to end up losing everything again. So before you were here, where were you? On the street. And you came here when? February 27th. Oh, okay. And I was told that they were going to have it open until I got my housing voucher. And then we all just got told that they're closing on the 31st or the 24th. So I don't know what it's going to look like now. That must make you feel nervous, huh? Yeah, I have a lot of anxiety because of it. What was being on the street like for you? It was hard. I didn't have shelter. I 
would always lose us. Like, people would steal from me all the time. But being here, they helped me get everything back that I that I had lost on the street, like my ID, my birth certificate, stuff, and they're taking it all the way. Just when she was starting to feel safe, she could now lose everything because the lease is up. Exactly. And it's not just the people living there. Lisa Adamson works there. She's the lead counselor for the afternoon shift. And because of the closure, she's losing her job along with 30 other people. I think the initial reaction was a a, a lot of shock. And then um, it was concern. And then it was, you know, a lot of tears because... um, We know the fragility of a lot of the residents. In the next six weeks or so, there are still about two dozen people whose plans are up in the air. Yeah, and does the gathering place know if they'll be able to find everyone housing in time? Well, they're trying. Some people who've been placed will use city, state, or DHA vouchers. For others, assisted living and drug treatment are possibilities. But then there's some folks who it's going to be really hard to house because if they're not able to take care of their own daily needs or if they have a criminal record or if they're undocumented, then it makes it a little bit trickier. Thanks, Tassie. Thanks, Nathan. CPR's Elaine Tassie speaking with Nathan Heppel. Elaine recently visited with people who've been staying at the Gathering Place shelter inside the Roadway Inn in Denver. It's scheduled to shut down in August. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Hey, it's Vic Vela from CPR's podcast, Back from Broken, returning for season four. More stories about the highest highs. I've had this incredible wave of love. The darkest moments. I ran up to mom and I said, Daddy wants me to sniff this yellow powder on my nose. And what it takes to make a comeback. You just have to be like, I need to put myself first. Back from Broken. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Supported in part by CU Anschutz. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. It's summer, and that means farmers' markets are back in full swing. One in particular goes beyond fresh veggies and juice. It includes yoga, art, and even a DJ. For more than a decade now, Mobetta Green Marketplace has been a staple in some of Metro Denver's most underserved communities that have been designated as food deserts. Some of the produce that we have today, we have collard greens, chard, lemon cucumbers, greens, beans, squash, plums, beets, scallions, and kale today. That is Bryce King talking with me when I visited last summer. He helps run the Mobetta Green Marketplace. All are welcome to partake in what's clearly been a labor of love for the market's matriarch, his mother, Beverly Grant. So... Live music and a DJ at a farmer's market, that just sounds totally fun. So how would you describe the Mobetta Green Marketplace to someone who's never been? Well, I would say it's a triple F event for food folks and fun. Mm. And I always offer no cost active living engagement. So we have yoga, tai chi and line dancing that we offer as ways for people to have fun and engage. I just can't get over the fact that I could do the Cupid Shuffle and also get like tomatoes at the same place. That sounds so much fun. And you totally can. (laughs) That's what makes Mobetta Green Marketplace so unique. Um, So speaking of unique, the name is unique. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the name? Absolutely. The Mo Better Green part of the name is really about 
the personal adopting of improved lifestyles, the way we eat, um, learning about our environment and how we can have less impact on our environment through our, our daily living activities. Also, the founding tenets for the marketplace are food literacy, environmental stewardship, and social responsibility. And so over my 12 years of existence, I've blended a myriad of relationships around each of those tenants. And then the official legal name of the business is R&Bs, More Better Green Marketplace, Mm -hmm. which the R is for my son, Reese, who is now an ancestor. And then the Bs, that's Bryce, Blair, and Beverly. So it was really a family And those are your children? Yes. Your other children? My other two children, Mm -hmm. yes. And so... Um, A lot of times people say, is it rhythm and blues? And I was like, that's (laughs) a very good guess, but no. And we just abbreviated it to Mo Better Green Marketplace. As you alluded to, your focus is to bring fresh fruits and vegetables to areas that are food deserts. And for those who aren't familiar with the term, it describes communities where people have limited access to healthy and affordable food. Tell us more about your mission and the communities you serve. Absolutely. Well, when I began uh, 12 years ago, it was kind of at the beginning of a wave of gentrification that was coming through the Northeast Denver corridor. And in that process, you know, it was more and more realized how lacking it is in food infrastructure. Now, because I'm a Denver native, I know of a time when it used to be different, where we did have neighborhood smaller stores and grocery outlets. But as time has moved on, a lot of those languished and don't exist anymore. And hence left these food desert neighborhoods where folk are traveling you know, a few miles to get to Mm. a decent outlet. So then I thought, well, I want to be some kind of solution to this problem. So this pop-up framework is what I adopted because I can literally come to the people. Mm. I can meet them on a parking lot. We can maybe get permits and utilize parts of streets. You know, we can come up with quote unquote, ideal locations. I love using parks because then I could leverage the green space to create active living. When we look at the health statistics of folk that live in food desert neighborhoods, typically it's high in diabetes, Mm. cardiac and pulmonary um, Mm. kinds of uh, conditions. And a lot of it is due to lack of access to to good fresh foods and also not moving. Now, that's another part of an active living equation that I've fully adopted because a typical farmer's market season for me might be about 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. So my goal was was to think about, well, If for 18 weeks I can engage the community in things like yoga, tai chi, Zumba, I even know Pilates instructors and 
other forms of movement, even line dancing. Yeah. You know, because people will say no, 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 but yes to line dancing. So hey, I, I'm all down for the wobble at any given moment. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It sounds like your goal is to expose people to opportunities, like you said, to move, to be active, and maybe spark something that will continue through well beyond the time of the, the farmer's market. That is the hope. And also connecting the engagers that partner with me throughout the season, offer, you know, classes and engagement opportunities after the season ends. So I'm hoping folk build those relationships and leverage the marketplace to do that. And maybe it creates a just a bit of inspiration, mm-hmm. you know, to make changes in your life. So it sounds like your philosophy embodies that statement, meet people where they are. Indeed, indeed it does. And you have to start with where they are to build resonance with them. To, f- to figure out where's a good place to start. So when people visit me at the markets a lot of time, they'll say, oh my God, I got to change my diet. I went to the doctor and I got all this mm-hmm. news. And I say, well, guess what? It's easy donuts. We can do this one sip, one bite at a time. I've partnered with Denver Botanic Gardens. Their Chatfield Farm is one of our sourcers. And then... Mobetta Green has a multi-plot urban farm in three small locations. And then um, we have a walk-up, drive-up farm stand at the Dahlia Campus for Health and Well-Being. And it's completely youth-run. Wow. And so that has become a part of my summer youth employment. And let me tell you, those youth really take to learning how to set up the displays, learning some of the product knowledge to share with folk about what vegetables are in inventory. And I love that many of them want to take foods home to Mm. experiment cooking with, especially things that they hadn't tried before, like kohlrabi, for example. It's a a vegetable kind of in the brassica family, and it, it looks almost like a planet and sort of, or like a beet turnip combination. It's a strange looking vegetable, but it has great flavor. Well, this is just truly sounds like a community project. You're engaging youth, you're getting people together, and you're also promoting health and wellness all in one. Yes. And one other engagement that we do, we create a community farm day at our community farm in the cold neighborhood. Mm. And we did jam making. Now, what was really special about this particular jam making is we have a cherry tree at that location. We harvested all those sour cherries and I paired them with apricots that I sourced from the Western Slope here in Colorado. Wow! And we made some amazing jam. I also, uh, as I recall, in many of these community work days, there also sometimes is a meal shared at the end. Oh, always, not sometimes. Oh, always. Always. And we had a local business called Speak Life. Chef Lee Bailey was present, and the food that was featured was more of a Jamaican fare. And so every community farm day, we do have a 
a chef. We also have a DJ because we got to have music. Music is medicine. And it music is, you know, such a perfect backdrop to any engagement. It really does bring people together. uh, Just having people hear the music and kind of, you know, clap or stomp their foot or sing along. It kind of brings people together who don't necessarily know each other. You're right. And then um, and it crosses generations. Like When we had um, this past Community Farm Day, we literally had from small children into the grandma age. They're present, just sharing together, eating together and then taking turns, uh, having a, a, a chance to work on the jam. So I read an article that said for you, farming isn't about sustenance. It's about creating a new economy for those in need. In fact, you said urban farming exists to address food gaps in cities. Please elaborate on that. Absolutely. Well, perfect example, our farm in the coal neighborhood, which is another East Denver um, food desert neighborhood. At that location, our farm is roughly about 4,000 square feet you know, kind of equivalent to the size of a house lot. And we've been farming there since about 2015. And what I strive to do is create that location as a place where people can come and learn to garden or grow things. Also, people can come there to help work with us to learn to learn these skills. But also... It's a place in the community where people are seeing how food is really raised and produced. We have chickens there, um, which the kids always get a kick out of chasing them around uh, (laughs) and trying to pick them up. Exactly. Because when you think about it, if you're a city kid, you just go to King Supers and you don't necessarily get the connection of where that food comes from. Right. And then, see, urban farming can serve neighborhoods, you know, that don't have these uh, food access opportunities. And something that a lot of Denver residents are not aware of is they can create their own urban farms at home. We have legislation through city council that was passed back in 2014 via the uh, Residential Sales Act that allows people to grow in their front or backyard and create a point of sale, which means in time they could create their own farm stands to sell their products. But also there's other legislation that you can pair with that, like the FPA, which is food producing animals that was passed back in 2011 and what that does is... Now, is that in Colorado or in Denver? In Denver. In Denver, okay. yes. But nationally, many, many cities are creating similar ordinances so that their communities can mobilize around urban farming. And, you know, urban farming does present an opportunity for food production and distribution and access to exist where it had not before. And 
It can be at the home level, which is really, really key. I should note that Beverly was featured in an article that I wrote for the New York Times in 2020 about the Satya Yoga Collective. And uh, Beverly opened up so much in that article about using yoga to deal with grief. Indeed. And Um, losing your son, Reese. Yes. Can you tell us, like, how are you doing? Well, to be honest, this year is the best I have been Mm. since my tragedy. Um, The month of July is kind of the worst month of the year for me because Mm. the beginning of the month, the first and second marks his death. Mm -hmm. Then his birthday is the 20th, which... um, I because my son died of a random act of violence, you know, you just don't get resolution for something like that. And so me being able to utilize yoga to help me with mental fogginess, to help me with the pain that was manifesting in my body. A lot of people are not uh, aware that Grief causes neck pain, back pain, Mm. headaches. Um, And when you're not in tune with these are side effects of my grief, then, you know, you could go down a rabbit hole of trying to treat yourself with pain remedies, which sure will give you some relief, but they don't address the problem Mm -hmm. because the pain and the suffering stem from the loss. And so when this tragedy occurred for me back in 2018, it was kind of crazy timing. June of that year, I had graduated with my yoga teacher training, um, a 200-hour program through Satya. And then my son was taken the very next month. Wow! And so I learned firsthand because of practicing yoga in the terrible days. And I was astonished, Chandra, how after a simple yoga practice, I felt integrated. Because when you when you have a catastrophic loss, your your mind, your body, you you're detached mentally, emotionally. Um your adrenal system, you, it feels under attack. Mm-hmm. I can remember times to try to have this conversation wouldn't have been possible because I felt like I didn't even have enough breath wow. to uh, carry on a conversation. But when I practiced yoga, it, I felt amazingly better. And so you know, it was literally learning through doing that Mm -hmm. got me here. And the Satya Yoga Cooperative is filled with loving folk that would just come and practice with me at my house. And we should note that it is Denver-based. It is. And uh, Lakshmi Nair is the founder. Um, She's a South Asian woman from India. And I tell you, I I thank her daily in my ways for introducing these gifts into my life. Um, practicing yoga and nidra, which is a form of 
meditation Mm. have really been helpful in helping me to rebuild my strength, my stamina, and just my overall sense of well-being and, and being present. What we also covered in that New York Times article that we worked on together is the fact that Satya is trying to diversify yoga, which for those who really studied it, it might even sound funny to say you have to diversify yoga. But tell us about the effort of Satya Yoga to bring more diversity to the practice of yoga in current times. Indeed. Well, most folk, when they hear the word yoga, they think of a yoga studio with <laughs> lots of uh, yoga, very fit Yoga people. pants, for sure. Very expensive yoga pants, for yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> there's that part. But additionally, it has been a, a space where people with privilege were the ones that were engaging in the practice because it's costly to take the classes in those studios. And many uh, community members of color didn't really feel welcome mm. in those spaces. And so when the yoga is more than a physical engagement, you know, it's a wellness lifestyle. It's a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. It's a whole being integrative way to bring your body relief and balance. And instead of having a brick and mortar studio, our approach has been to go to the people. So for example, at my farmer's markets, those are satya instructors that come and share. And sometimes I'm one of the teachers. And then I've also created yoga in the park engagements in different pocket parks around the city where people just meet up and do the yoga there. Um, one engagement that I'm really excited about with an organization called GRASP, which is a youth organization dedicated to serving youth that have gotten in trouble, may have court cases. Mm. Um, some of them even have ankle monitors, things like that. Wow. And we we have been meeting in parks and I'll have anywhere from 18 to over 20 students. And I partnered with a small business called Sound Off. They have the silent disco headphones. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pairing that the headphones with being in the park is a match made in heaven because you are able to block out all the distractions mm. that are come with just chilling in the park. And it does create this sense of going inside. Wow. You know, they play awesome music. And I love their technology, you know. And so all of the classes that I'm offering this summer, uh, yoga-wise, we are partnered with them because it totally ups the game with the whole yoga experience. Now, Beverly, of course, is talking about the Satya Yoga Collective, and that's S-A-T-Y-A. You made me wonder how do these young people you described to have these challenges, how do how have they responded to the yoga? Well, you know, at first they were kind of snickering like, yeah, right. 
<laughs> and then once we, you know, added the headphones, then so the music. So you had to kind of cool it up a little bit. Well, yes. And I know how youth love to run around with either over-the-ear headphones or the ear pods. Mm -hmm. So we got the over-ear headphones, and right away they connect to the music that they hear. And I, I will add that the youth have told me that they feel more at peace or they feel a sense of calm right after a practice, that they enjoy the way they feel in their body. Wow. So that's saying something. Well, Beverly, you must be a miracle worker. You got teens doing yoga and also asking for vegetables. Like, you should get a Nobel Prize. <laughs> Man. Thanks, Beverly. Thanks so much for joining us on Colorado Matters. Thank you for having me. What an honor. That was Beverly Grant, the founder and the lifeline of the Mobetta Green Marketplace. The Farmer's Market is open Wednesdays and Saturdays through October. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team, who is always farm fresh. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Tom Hess. Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbraño. Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner. And I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is CPR News and KRCC.